This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Yugura and Turrbal people and the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Well may we say God save the Queen because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to better ways to push and pull hey whatever gets you through these days hello and welcome to well may we say a progressive podcast about australian politics this is episode 86 for friday 22nd of march 2019 i'm jeremy sear and each week i'll be joined by different guest hosts to help me discuss what's just been happening to our country what's likely to happen, and hopefully what we can do about it. And tonight's guest host, who has a very similar mission on his own podcast, is Tom Ballard. <laughs> Hello, Jeremy. Sorry to steal your mission. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's right. Tom, most importantly, what I want to achieve with this podcast is that nobody else tries to figure out what's going on and how to do it better. I don't want anyone else doing that. <laughs> Just me. It's all down to me. No one can try that. No one. Mm. Um, I mean, if you want to, want to contemplate, if people want to sort of sit down and try to how to figure out how to make things not quite not worse that's okay but not don't try to make things better that's my gig god tom that's your gig man it is look i'm sorry i, I spent minutes recording like my own voice into the ether and and, and and ranting i mean surely that that entitles me to something like ownership of everything good in the universe apparently yes anywho it's yours yeah this week you specifically in fact let, let's start at the very beginning and flag that tom's so Tom pa- Tom Ballard, obviously well known. How 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 would, how do you currently promote yourself? How do you currently describe yourself, Tom? <laughs> oh, just a human being, you know. Try to try to make the world a better place. Connect with my fellow human beings by doing hilarious stand up comedy and uh, uh, doing some podcasts. Trying to get on TV and um, leading the revolution. You oh, know how it is. I'm going to be mocking someone on Q and A, which you have previously hosted. So you know, there's a link there. Yes. Um, also, there is a leak. I've written a play called Quanda, and the nerds that listen to this podcast, if you're in Melbourne, would very much enjoy that play. Please come along. Good plug. All right, let's do a proper plug at the end because we can't. We start with a plug this time. Like you've got to front load it with with the, with, the, with, the, with the content. Oh my god, I'm talking about content. Let's stop talking about content. But uh, the point of that was I did want to refer people to your podcast, like I'm a six year old, where you had an amazing episode this week, which was more was looking into um, the consequences of what had happened in Christchurch with. Uh, a person from the community more directly affected than either of us as two white men. Yes, yes. I got a lot out of talking to Samar Sabawi. She's a playwright and po- poet, uh, Palestinian background, but Australian and Canadian citizen. And uh, she, I was going to talk to her anywhere uh, about the BDS campaign when it comes to um, Eurovision 2019 and um, what the boycott, divestment and sanctions movement means generally. And uh, in a wacky coincidence, it also just happened to, to fall after the horrific shooting in Christchurch on Friday. Um, and she talked to me about, yeah, Jesus, the horror of being a Muslim in the Western world post 9-11 and how she was disappointed but not shocked by the events on Friday, which we've heard echoed in a couple of other parts of the media. It's very hard for, for me to understand and appreciate that, I guess, the idea that th- this horrific shooting wouldn't be shocking to you. But... Yeah, the truth is this horrific shit has been building for, for two decades, and even longer, really. Um, and so I guess I can understand why the people who directly are affected by it um, are a little less... Surprised. Surprised that, that a yeah, horrific white supremacist would unleash the hate that is bounding around so much uh, onto innocent Muslim victims. Yeah, I imagine when your daily experience is being abused in public by uh, cranks, or just, in fact... Well, cranks, but random members of the public who've been incited to hatred of you by, you know, responsible newspaper journalism like Andrew Bolt's thing about what was it, foreigners coming to replace us? Or what, what was that hideous thing in the Herald Sun when they, they had the picture of, of people of sort of various ethnic stereotypes sitting around and carving up Australia? And that sort of... It, it's weird that that, that that kind of rhetoric in 2019 has exactly the same effect of promoting hatred and promoting people to go out and demonise and in person act out against the people who are being blamed for all of the ills in their lives. It's weird that that still happens, that that still works. You would think that in 2019, that, that kind of base appeal to human, you know, the worst elements of our nature, I mean, surely that would have stopped by now. Surely surely humans would resist that at this point. Apparently not, Jeremy. No. No. 
don't know, it turns out that human beings are still human beings and you can still um, rile them up with irresponsible bullshit. Um, which actually that kind of, I didn't actually want to lead with this, but um, now, now, that, now that we've sort of flagged that, um, whenever you call out people um, like Bolt who run those sorts of arguments, um, and whenever they're referred to as being Islamophobes, whenever the people who are standing out there constantly inciting these sort of not even you know not even subtle fears, they basically they basically come out and say Muslims are coming here to replace us. We've got um, Peter Dutton uh, in the audio that was in I think last week's episode, or if not the week before, where he, he it took him a few seconds to refer. to... No, it was the episode where, where Creedon, um it was also two episodes ago. Well, it took him a few seconds to refer to the refugees who might be coming out here, um, with the medical transfers, as being members of ISIS. Like, <laughs> literally, he just threw that out there. Border protection and bringing people who have a background fighting for ISIS, etc., back into our country. I, w- I would think that it's fairly straightforward to refer to anything where you are trying to make people afraid of a group of people. So not the leaders of a people, not a nation, not... Um, you know, an organised, powerful group, but ordinary citizens. You're trying to incite such hate, hatred that you can imagine that people will be screaming abuse at Muslims on the bus and the train and so forth. Like that, and that happens. I think it's quite legitimate to call that Islamophobia. But I think you, when you were talking with Smar, she was making the point that it isn't a direct parallel, and I'm sure that people on the right would say that it is a direct parallel, when they call people on the left anti-Semites when they're critical of Israel. I would say that, the, I mean... My, my two sets, Tom, I think that possibly the distinction is that being critical of a state and the actions of a state to oppress people um, is being critical of the oppressor and critical of the people in power and the privileged, and it's not inciting hatred against the ordinary people in that community. So one is accurate criticism, Islamophobia, and the anti-Semitism one doesn't stick. So anti-Semitism is definitely a real thing, but when you're criticising Israel, that's not anti-Semitism. Yeah. I mean, there, there does seem to be <laughs> this logic from some right-wing commentators that because we say when one uh, uh, Islamist terrorist commits a horrific act in the name of uh, Islam, from their point of view, we should not blame all Muslims, right? Which is which is right yeah. and true and good logic. Therefore, when this sure. white supremacist committed this act of terror in New Zealand, we shouldn't blame all white supremacists. And we're saying, well... <laughs> Hashtag pretty, not all white supremacists. Yeah, pretty sure all white supremacists are fucking trash and should be called out and tried to be, and, you know, defeated at, at every possible opportunity at the ballot box in terms of space in the public debate. They should be laughed at a debate. Uh, they should have eggs thrown into their stupid faces on a very regular basis because they are white supremacists. Oh. Tom, I would, I, there was one thing I was shocked about in your podcast, that, that both of you took pains to say that you didn't approve of the egg being smashed on Fraser Eddings' place. Basically, you were just sort of, you know, it was amusing, but, you know, not endorsing it. Why aren't, why aren't we endorsing it? It's the, oh. Clearly, it's the appropriate response to, like, it is by undermining his ability to be taken seriously and promote his bullshit, it actually caused less harm. I mean, certainly, you know, throwing an egg at somebody is potentially a little bit of harm, but it's so much less harm than he would otherwise have caused. I would say the net harm caused is negative. Oh, man, I totally endorse Egg Boy. We were laughing. Samara and I were pretending to um, concern troll there during the podcast. I think we're both very much on board with Egg Boy and uh, say good luck to him. And to all the people, the idiots out there who are like, oh, he's just doing it for attention and to get Instagram likes. Yeah, well, he's donating all the money that people raise for his legal defense directly to the um, victims' uh, families. So maybe, you know, Egg Boy is a champion. How about that? Yes, I, I was trolling. I, I know that you're in favour of him, but I, I like that the beginning you're sort of like, you know, we're just enjoying playing it, but but still, <laughs> you know, the official line of being like, well, we have to technically deplore it. And I'm like, no, you know what? I don't even think we have to technically deplore it. I think like the the bit that, the only disturbing thing about that that I saw was that then he's not pushing pressing charges against Annie for the punch, the second punch, the clearly outrageous assault. Like Annie is an MP, a senator bloody oath it should get pushed. In fact, it shouldn't really require a complaint from the victim. Basically, the police should look at the footage, see that a crime's been committed and charge the bastard. It's not self-defence. Yeah, I don't know what's happening with that. I don't know what's happening with Neil Erickson. I mean, yeah, the response to to the egging was insane and over the top. Um, I hear Neil Erickson has a warrant out for his arrest, right, in in New South Wales, I think, for certain offences. Yeah, Yeah. the um, was it the Gosford Church was saying that? (laughs) Father Bauer, I think, was saying that they... He, that there was a word out, but they, it wasn't for a crime that was serious enough to get him actually extradited to New South Wales. Mm, God. Get him, I say. Anyway, they're lovely people. Lovely, lovely people. <laughs> yeah, so it, there's a fairly clear distinction between 
that kind of inciting of hatred and being critical. Like, if you were critical of somebody in a, a position of authority in Islam, and you know how they do the whole thing of like, oh, the, this this mosque here has a, a leader who hates gay people, and yeah, that kind of thing. And you're like, well, yeah, I that it's not necessarily Islamophobia to criticize somebody from a, the Muslim community doing something bad, like if they're doing something misogynist or homophobic or something. But it is Islamophobic if you specifically reserve your criticism for only when it's Muslims and the rest of the time you're completely silent on it. In that case, your choice of target clearly reveals that this is being used as a device to attack Muslims and not as um, a, a genuine concern about the subject matter in question. Yes, and surely Islamophobia applies to um, a level of hatred and vitriol that is beyond reason or rationality. So, you know, conspiracy theories about... Um, uh, halal food, for example, is just blatant Islamophobia. Uh, Pauline Hanson saying that it is a it is a disease that we need to vaccinate ourselves against, or that it's not a real religion that we should have a royal commission into mm. it. This is like crazy level. Um, I'm all for critiquing religion. I'm sure people are very aware of that of all sorts of different religions, but this is insane. This is victimising a group of people because of their peaceful following of their religion and and nothing else. Um, and I'm sorry, sometimes some of the commentary, uh, you may need to read between the lines or be educated a little bit around um, the way that the right attacks um, this religion. But the stuff that's coming out now, the stuff that people are pointing to, particularly in Bolt's oeuvre, uh, that is blatant Islamophobia, it's just straight up replacement theory, which is exactly uh, the ideology that the gunman pointed to. Oh. The idea that we are being invaded by these people, they are taking over, soon white people will be a minority in our in our quote-unquote own country countries in the white countries the country that we stole we stole it fair and square from the people <laughs> yeah, who we were here stole beforehand. fair and square <laughs> and i mean there was one uh, i i so i think it was after the you know the paris attacks in 2016 um uh, and and bolt straight up says um if something isn't done about this people will take matters into their own hands who can blame them yeah. Who can blame them? Just straight up saying, if someone responds to these kind of attacks violently, well, it's completely understandable. Basically saying exactly what Fraser Anning was saying, but he's trying to hide under this facade of polite and civil centre-right discourse. It's bullshit. It's white supremacy. Throw an egg at Andrew Bolt, please. How can he... If you were speaking to him, if he was here right now, do you think he would really... If you said to him, but you know that there are people out there on the fringes, you know, who can be incited like they have always been able to be incited to commit acts of violence against people who they fear and when you're telling them that they're going to be replaced by people who they should fear and hate like can't can't you anticipate that outcome isn't that a, isn't that something that like you is your is is your position that you're just hoping that they will you know vote take your message of of paranoid fear um but only apply it at the ballot box and no further like Look, you need to be terrified for your lives. You're, you're, they're coming for your families and you. Just vote peacefully at the ballot box and everything will be fine. Okay. Yes, yes. Western civilization is at stake, but you know, don't go overboard with your reaction, people. So disingenuous. Or you know what I was thinking too. The other flip side of this is, if we believe them, if we believe all the News Corp people that uh, that they write that they're right that their rhetoric doesn't have anything to do with this at all, I also think that what follows from that is that they are completely pointless and don't influence anyone. So if we believe them, they're either you know inciting horrific hatred that results in horrific violence uh, that we've seen, or they completely irrelevant that everybody hates and ignores yeah. anyway. Either way, we should shut down News Corp. <laughs> but that's why Andrew Bolt at the top of his column has Australia's most read columnist and then on the other side that nobody pays any attention to because I'm an idiot. <laughs> idiot! I mean, people people mock him for that, but that's that's his protection. Like, that, that yeah. line on the, on, the, on, the, on the right, yeah. On the far right. The far right of the page. Um, what was it that... Um, was it Pauline Hanson who was describing... Oh, who was she describing this week as being as being too far left? It wasn't the Liberals. It was somebody so far to the right. It was insane. It was basically she she was basically creating a. I've got a mental block. I can't think who it was, but but it was basically like she was saying that you know Genghis Khan. He's a, he's a bit too lefty for my for my liking. Social justice warrior Genghis Khan. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> well, of course, Rita Panahi had the sweet hot take that of um, you know the uh, the shooter actually has more in touch with the uh, identity politics obsessed left than uh, anyone on the right, which is next level batshit crazy. Oh, that's right. Oh, didn't um, 
that Kellyanne Conway, the, the the Trump spokesperson, was trying to be like, no, no, he mentioned Trump, but if you read, you need to go out there and read his crazed manifesto because I am I am speaking on behalf of the White House, and I'm saying everybody should read. If somebody goes out and commits mass murder, everybody should pay attention to them and read their manifesto. That's my message from the White House. Everybody, look, everybody out there, if you, if you want to have your manifesto read and you want us to endorse people reading it, then go out and commit a, a horrific acts of murder. Um, very responsible message there, but she's like, if you read it, really, he's you know a bit of an eco-fascist. So, Tom, aren't the real criminals here the greenies? Yes. Aren't, aren't the greenies the real ones who are out there inspiring this? He's as bad as those kids striking on Friday. <laughs> They're all fascists. Well, we'll get we'll get to the kids. It, well, yeah, didn't we have Peter Dutton out there saying that, um, yeah, sure, Fraser Anning might be out there blaming the Muslims for being murdered and saying, you know, all they had to do was not flee persecution and go to live in a country where they're entitled to live, and then, then we wouldn't have to murder them. And then he was saying that Dutton was saying that that is is just no worse than the than the Greens. I mean, the Greens are out there criticizing Peter Dutton, and isn't that isn't that just as bad, Tom? Isn't that really you know... that is a, that is as bad? That's heaps as bad. I mean, and Tim Wilson was pulling that shit too, right? He said uh, he posted this this quote of himself, I guess, on Twitter, saying it is always difficult to sift in the sewer between the extremist parties of the Greens and One Nation slash Fraser Anning, but I've had a long-standing view that we should put One Nation and their despicable acolytes last. Fuck you, bro. Yeah. Fuck. That is some insane both sidesism right there. You moron. <laughs> uh, to be fair to Tim Wilson, though, the Greens want us to have decent public services. They want, uh, you know, Centrelink to be at a reasonable level. Although, no, to be fair to previous host Jeremy Poxon, who's pointed out that the Greens uh, have not in any way committed to getting New Start quite to the level that it needs to get to. They've, they've pledged more than Labor to increase it, but they haven't actually yeah. um, pledged to get it at least to the poverty level, which is problematic. Um, apparently the socialists have, but the Greens haven't. So they could do better. But yeah, I mean, clearly wanting public services, uh, wanting New South to be better, wanting uh, you know to not torture refugees in offshore hell camps, wanting us to act on climate change. Clearly, Tom, those are morally very similar to uh, inciting white supremacists to go and murder people. Yeah. Like, they're just two sides of the same coin. They're all just in the sewer, and the wonderful Liberal Party <laughs> rises above them all on the moral high ground. Um, look, I, I, can, I do have a, moral, a mental image of the Liberal Party rising from the sewer, um, but not very far. <laughs> I, don't think there's, I don't think there's enough room between the Liberal Party and the sewer <laughs> that you can really see. Like, I think they're still touching the sewer. I don't think there's so much daylight under there. Um, yeah, no, it's depressing. So... We've talking. Okay, well, let's deal with the Liberal Party's response to this. So the first big one, and apparently you're just telling me that that um, after Scamo launched his threats against Walid Ali for suggesting that uh, Morrison had in what was it 2011 uh, told the, the shadow cabinet that he was uh, that, that they should ride the sort of an anti-Muslim strategy for electoral gain, um, and uh, that was reported by Lenore Taylor and Walid Ali uh, cited it recently, and Morrison is coming out and furiously denouncing it, um, and threatening Walid Ali, and then uh, he pulled out of being on on the project, and Jacinda Ardern said that she would would go in the project instead, so Walid did that. And now apparently he's coming back on the project tonight. Yes, yes. I guess we're recording this before it'll it'll get out there. Like yeah, before it. Oh, yeah, we're happen, recording it Thursday afternoon. Yeah, so people will have seen that there, but they're doing a half-hour commercial-free Walid v Scott Morrison. Um, I mean, yeah, we were not you and I were talking. Who who knows what will come of it? I'm sure that Morrison will just double down. But, uh, I mean, it seems like he's been caught out somewhat in this lovely lie. There was a beautiful press conference where Samantha Maidam uh, asked him, uh, hey, do you stand by the fact that this, this that you didn't say that in that um, 2011 uh, cabinet meeting? Uh, you know, Greg Hunt's back to you. And Scott Morrison says, yes, Greg Hunt back me on the record. That's good, isn't it? And Samantha Maidam oh, said... No, don't, don't spoil it. Oh, don't please. Spoil it, Tom. Let, oh, you got let, it. Let me, let, me play, let me play the audio. Okay, so my second question is you've described today as a disgusting lie, claims that into at a 2010 Shadow Cabinet meeting, you sought to capitalise on anti-Muslim sentiment in the community. Now, you've been backed by Greg Hunt on that. On, on the record. Rec on the record, uh, except the problem with that is that Greg Hunt did not attend the meeting. Now, those that did attend the meeting told the Sydney Morning Herald in 2011... Quote, Sam, I'm going to stop you there. Sam, Sam, I'm going to stop you there. I've already addressed this issue today. It is an ugly and repugnant lie. I reject it absolutely. 100%, and my record of working with the Muslim community in Sydney, in particular, speaks volumes for my track record, and any suggestion to the contrary, I found utterly offensive. Thank you. 
<laughs> so it's offensive and repugnant, Tom. Yes, and I've worked with the Muslim community in Sydney, on Nauru, and Banas Island. Uh, my record <laughs> speaks for itself. I lied that a children's charity uh, was encouraging refugee children to harm themselves, and I refuse to apologise for that lie. My record speaks for itself. It sure does, Scott Morrison, and your record stinks. But they, they're never going to forget that time when he stood up there and told them that they they were going to never come to Australia and they were they were doomed to remain in those hell camps forever. And bad luck. <laughs> I think he laughs evilly. Oh, the um, sound effect that I added in there of, of uh, just after she says. But he wasn't there. <laughs> they, she, Samantha Maiden didn't literally have like the, the the instrument to make that noise when he. I mean, she should. Yes. I think journalists at press conferences should, in fact, have sound effects ready to go. But no, that was me adding it. I'm sorry. And just remember, it was reported at the time by Lenore Taylor for the Sydney Morning Herald. It was then repeated by, picked up by other media organisations. Lenore Taylor says that uh, the, the sources have not changed their story. Um, yeah, the two people who back uh, Morrison, two of the people who back Morrison are, are Abbott and Hunt, who weren't actually in uh, the goddamn meeting. I mean, but, but, but put that all aside, I mean... I don't want to quote my own tweet, Jeremy, but I will, because this seemed to I, I summarize, summarize what I feel about it. The suggestion that a man who oversaw the imprisonment of Muslim children in torture camps would ever consider capitalizing on anti-Muslim sentiment is an ugly and repugnant lie. I mean, the idea that even oh. if he didn't say this in that cabinet meeting in 2011, I'm sorry, his record and the government's record and the <laughs> likes of other Liberal Party members speak for themselves that they've absolutely capitalized on anti-Muslim sentiment for political gain. Yeah. There is no other interpretation of their Stop the Boats bullshit. Like, they repeatedly try to... And, and the fact that it's specifically aimed at refugees from coming a certain way, um, as opposed to the ones that they let fly here safely who are not from those countries. Yeah. Like, it could not be more racist if they tried. And it could not be more, de- you know, deliberately aimed against Muslims if they tried. Yeah. Still, you know, he did... What do you think he's actually referring to that he did, that his work for... like? Yes, presumably he's not referring to his work with Muslims in dragging them back to sea. Um, what do you think he's actually referring to? Like, what's his? What's his? I have a I have a Muslim friend that that I do stuff with. Story. Do Do you know what it is? I I think he went to the iftar dinner, or he hugged. He's hugged someone a mufti. Uh, that that's probably it. I mean, he did say after the you know that Berkshire attack from last year that you know radical Islam is the greatest threat facing us at the moment, which um was is is highly contestable due to you know the, those old white supremacists and the kind of shit that they do. Um, he's also you know supported Tony Abbott, a man. Who said that Islamophobia has never killed anyone, which is just a, was wasn't correct at the time. It isn't becoming more correct. Certainly, it's not no. correct now. Obviously, in the wake of these horrific attacks, yes, he's. I mean, forget about it. I mean, anyway, if you're if you care about the rights of Muslims, uh, don't vote for the Liberal Party. That's my hot take. Seems fair. Hard, hard to contradict. I also know that one of the reasons why the libs keep falling backwards is that I think the public have cottoned on to the fact that any time Morrison declares something, the more emphatic it is the more obvious that he's lying. <laughs> if he says something is a repugnant lie, it is definitely true. Great. Like it's, isn't that something have you, you've observed? I, th- I think that he's, he's now, he's so shameless about it that I think it's sunk through that, that yeah, nobody is that emphatic um, so often about stuff that is difficult to believe. And, th- and it's just, I think there's a certain point in the, in the, in the sort of collective public mindset where people click on it they click to it, and and you see him doing his gish gallops, and I'm sure we'll have some examples of that later in the podcast, where he just sort of launches into a line of bullshit in, in at such a rate that you can't stop it. And I, did, I was unaware of the term gish gallop until um, one of his recent um, bullshit interviews, and and um, saw the term. Inter- and it couldn't describe Morrison more accurately. Have you seen the term gish gallop? No. Ah, go- everybody Google gish gallop, and then just. If, particularly if you've, you've ever seen Morrison be interviewed about anything difficult, you will, uh, yeah, it, it will ring a number of bells. It's basically the the uh, rhetorical technique of just throwing bullshit out really fast before people can actually address it. And so to contradict it, you've got to spend so much time that it's unworkable. You've lost the point. You, you, do, you particularly do it in like debates or live interviews um, where it's ultimately impossible to rebut. And if you rebut one point, the gish galloper goes, oh, well, you know, I've got all these other points. And all they have to find is one one where they're not talking bullshit and then they get the credibility on all the rest of them. Mm. Anyway, g- g- Google the term gish gallop. It's, it's, a, it's a real thing. Anyway, um, the other liberal who uh, has been talking bullshit about uh, Christchurch this week is our apparently our friend Linda Reynolds. Um, do I have a musical sting for the Linda Reynolds is talking bullshit again segment? Yes, I do. Here it is. 
<laughs> so yeah, so following uh, Linda's fine work in uh, the Senate a couple of weeks ago, where she was uh, declaring that uh, letting refugees have medical care was going to uh, cause people to die, uh, as if dragging boats back to sea doesn't. And then what was it? The week before last, where she was uh, that that spectacular bit of audio where after Corman said that uh, having the flexibility to keep wages low was actually a feature of the system, and um, that was quoted by David Spears to her on Sky, and she's like, no, yeah, that's why Bill Shorten doesn't understand things, and he's like, that was Corman, and she's like, oh, and he's absolutely right. No, I don't believe, no, absolutely not, and, you know, for Bill Shorten to even suggest that, I think is, uh, it shows a well, fundamental it, I'm actually quoting, economics. I'm quoting Matthias um, Corman, the finance minister yes. here, uh, minister, your colleague, he says that wages flexibility is quite a deliberate feature of our economic architecture. Uh, but that—he's that, absolutely right. That's great. Okay, that's Linda Reynolds. Yeah, um, <laughs> Western Australian senator, uh, absolute dropkick. Anyway, she was on what I think for the podcast we'll refer to as Tom's Q and A, even though technically you had nothing to do with it this week, and it's cruel to. <laughs> I mean, that's not a nice association. I shouldn't. Wait, wait. No, I'm not disparaging. Your episodes were good. Thank you. <laughs> it's just Tony Jones's ones that are terrible. Anyway, you made you made it the the okay show for a week instead of the bad show. Thanks. Is that enough, or am I, have I still been rude? I didn't mean to be... I'm not being meaning to be rude. Tom! No, no, you're not being rude at all. All right. You, you, don't, you don't associate your identity with Q&A generally, other, other than the, the excellent comedy show about it that you've, you've that you're launching in a, in a fortnight, I think. Yes, good plug, once again. <laughs> Subtle. Anyway, here is Linda talking unmitigated shit on Tom's Q&A. Oh, boy. I know you don't want to talk about politics, but we mentioned uh, Waleed Ali's uh, speech... Um, and what he was essentially accusing the Prime Minister of was plotting in the shadow cabinet some time ago to use the fear of Islam and Muslims for political purposes. Do you want to respond to that? I do, but I don't want to do it, as we've said, in a, in a political way tonight. <laughs> I would caution all commentators and all politicians, as I said earlier, is to be very careful with your words. And, Ray, thank you very much for your comments, because I think you are spot on and I... Uh, support what Cathy has said. So do you uh, Ray, agree issue... with Ray Martin that fear of others has been used for political purposes? Well, Tony, this is a very personal issue for me and the uh, oh. circumstances that you were talking about, Ray, are things that I've, I've lived through. And last month I gave probably the hardest and the most personal speech I've ever given in the Senate. And it was uh, in response to uh, the Labor's amendments to the Medivac bill. And I was literally almost physically ill when I saw some of my Senate and House of Reps colleagues in the chamber cheering and high-fiving the passage of these amendments because I was one of the few in that chamber who has lived through um, terrorism and the impact of ter- uh, you know, up in the Bali bombings. I was up From there, I saw, refugees to I terrorism? smelt, and I got to understand the commodification of human beings. There are people, there are people in our own nation and there are people overseas who want to do us harm. They don't respect our compassion, and they certainly do not respect our way of life. And can all I, the can things I just interrupt Kathy you there? Are you drawing about... some kind of link between the Bali bombings and refugees mm. coming to Australia for medical services? Yeah. What I'm saying is that having my colleagues cheer for this policy, that will inevitably lead to the boat trade coming again. I mean, there are thousands of people up in town near north who people smugglers don't see them as human beings, they see them as commodities to profit from. And I saw that firsthand in 2001 and 2002. And I saw the consequences on those who were desperate enough to pay to come here. And they drowned the most horrendous deaths. What the frick is she talking about? <laughs> Just, it's hard. I mean, it's, it's, it's frustrating and infuriating, but then after a while you kind of go, I can't. I just don't actually know what she's saying or what she's going for there, so it's hard to get too worked up. And and um, yeah, she feels like she's is a scattergun bullshit that I that I cannot follow at all. Yeah, that was kind of almost a gish gamble, except it was too slow. So she was asked, "Did Morrison?" <laughs> That's the question. So she asked, "Did Morrison uh, say this uh, shadow cabinet?" And then she goes, gets from that to the medivac bill to terrorists in Bali. Mm-hmm. What is the link in her brain? Well, I mean, obviously, the link in her brain is that um, she thinks they're Muslims, and therefore, that if people arrive, like the, the only the only link that is possible from what she's saying is is if she's asserting um, implicitly that refugees arriving here 
are threats to us like terrorists in Bali. Like, if that's not what she's saying, what the hell is she saying? Of course she's saying that. Yeah. It's the only interpretation that makes sense. I mean, it doesn't make much sense. But then, well, then Tony sort of, yeah, interjected to try and just clarify exactly what was going on, and then she goes to the kind of deaths at sea nonsense. Yeah. Um, because people smugglers only see uh, refugees as commodities and not as human beings. Mm. And, of course, the Liberal government sees them as human beings as they keep them detained indefinitely in torture camps uh, that drive them to the point of mental illness and want to kill themselves. That's hey, that's treating them like human beings. Nothing says treating someone like a human being, like giving them a number and refusing to refer to them by a name. I mean, you know, when our <laughs> government does that, you know... Um, the bit, the bit where when two four six zero one gets out on parole and then they track him down is a bit rough. Right. Um, like they could at least let him into the community at that point. The fact that they insist on calling them by numbers and then they're saying no, but we're not dehumanising them. Like, could you be more obvious? Nuts. Uh, anyway, on the plus side though, I don't, I don't know if Linda's up on the current, um, uh, current position of the government, but as I understand it, all of the boats that they are still intercepting. Uh, are 100% safe, which is why they're turning them all back to sea. Because they only turn them back where it's safe to do so. They're saying that none of them are coming through to their um, hell camps. Therefore, they're turning them all back to sea. Therefore, 100% of them are safe. So, good news. The people smugglers are now putting them on safe boats, apparently. That's good. That's nice of them. 100% of them are safe boats. Isn't that good? Problem solved. Thanks, smugglers. (laughs) Anyway... And the important thing is that we care about their lives and we treat them as human beings. That's why we give them numbers and drag them back out to sea. Climate. <laughs> that is the worst segue I've ever done on this program. <laughs> well, this was the huge bummer, right? I mean, like, obviously Friday is a tragedy for a million different reasons and obviously for the families it's just, it's just hell. But I went along to the climate strike as, you know, thousands and thousands of kids and families and adults and teachers, you know, turned out to call on our shitty government and politicians to ask them to do something about the climate crisis that's heading for us. It was amazing and inspiring and electrifying and a real shot in the arm and a morale boost or a reminder that collective action is wonderful and great. And then, yeah, by the time we got to the news ta- news at uh, at 7pm, uh, of course, the, the news was dominated by, by what had happened in Christchurch and it was, um, it was heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, it did kind of kill it, didn't it? I mean... I suppose, I suppose, Tom, you can be more upset about that than you know the fact that it also overshadowed the podcast we'd recorded at exactly the same time last week's. Like, I mean, they got overshadowed by the murder too. But Obviously, I suppose Bummer. the massive worldwide protest against it, you know, on the subject that is going whether or not we're going to have a human civilization or not. I suppose that's probably even more important than the podcast that we recorded. Yes, I suppose <laughs> in its own way. <laughs> but um, so. Obviously, the lead up to that was all of all of the right being trying to be like, "Hey, no, we, you know, there's nothing wrong with the kids, although they should be in school." And here, the Daily Telegraph has found like this young liberal person who's who's not going to school, and this is why her fellow students shouldn't strike. Anyway, um, but they were trying to trying to say, "No, it's, it's a bunch of uh, adults who have been uh, teaching teaching them these lies. These, you know, just because the scientists all report this research that says we're all doomed if we don't do something about it." You know, they're lies. It's, it's uh, political propaganda, Tom. And uh, it really, really, it's just very sad seeing all those kids out there uh, thinking they're fighting for a good cause, but in fact fighting, you know, against the commercial interests of fossil fuel companies. And uh, wouldn't they feel silly if they knew? Yeah, again, some other, some great double logic going on here. We heard that both they're all kids, so they don't know enough about the issue, so they're idiots, but also the strikes were organised by adults. Mm. So, so either either you, sh- you shouldn't listen to them uh, because they're stupid kids or it's not a real protest test from kids because adults are behind the scenes pulling the strings. Right. I interviewed two of the organisers of the Melbourne protest. They know exactly what they're doing. Uh, they're, they're not uh, the puppets of anybody at all. They listen to the news. They learn stuff in school and uh, they're calling bullshit on the current um, lack of action when it comes to climate change. Piss off, you weirdos. Yeah, but Tom, they're the same kind of kids who are actually, you know, going to science class and stuff. Can we trust them? Mm. Can we trust kids who are interested in science and following the uh, scientific consensus on on, uh, very important matters? No. No, they just want a day off school. That's what we learnt because they should be striking on the weekend because that's how striking works. (laughs) Yeah. Striking is all about doing it in the way that's the least inconvenience for everybody else. It's classic. I mean, that's... It's like they didn't. Know, it's like they haven't even opened a history book in, uh, on this on you know any history of striking. They don't know what they're doing. It's they're doing it all wrong. Did you did at least did you at least find some uh, signs that were 
you know, had spelling errors in them and stuff, because that completely invalidates the entire protest as well. Yeah, obviously, yeah, there was some bad punctuation, therefore their whole argument is debunked. And also, I assume their parents drove them to the protest, and they were using iPhones there, so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> how about exactly. no? Exactly. Yeah, they're not standing there out, out in the streets uh, naked, having uh, crawled there on their hands and knees, so therefore they're, they're massive hypocrites and uh, shouldn't be taken seriously. Yeah, Of course. Good point. And they, I think they also probably use some rude words on some of those signs, I bet. <gasps> no rude words. Great. I mean, it was. I mean, I think I didn't watch the interview, but outsiders on the weekend on Sky, they had two people who were in the protest and then one girl who wasn't in the protest and they had a fawning interview with her and. And also, I just love the fact that, of course, if these kids were out there protesting against, you know, the franking credits reform, the Sky News would be falling over itself to praise them as future leaders and very smart kids who know exactly what's up. Of course, uh, as soon as they're uh, you know, protesting against something that goes against the interest of, yes, the donors on Sky News or conservative ideology, they're stupid idiot kids who don't know what they're talking about. Uh, hang on, but Tom, the uh, Labor's retiree tanks... Uh, is is a real thing that we it's really going to destroy civilization. Labor is proposing to not give free cash to rich people that um, they was, were given by Costello as as part of his ludicrous middle class and upper class handouts uh, when he was squandering the benefits of the mining boom. Um, and how can civilization survive going back to the kind of tax settings that were in place? You know, back in the early 2000s. Clearly, clearly this is the end of civilization and we're all doomed. Um, and that's a real thing, you know. That minor change undoing a huge bit of, of Costello largesse to rich people. I mean, do you, do you even remember the early 2000s, Tom? Uh, vaguely. <laughs> do you remember the, the hellscape that they were back before Costello decided to give uh, extra taxpayer cash to rich people for franking credits? Oh, yeah, 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 the, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, they were like, it was like Mad Max. It was nuts. Yeah, like... Did you even know any old people back then? Because they were basically, you know, living in dustbins. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that's a that's a real that's a real crisis. Um, I did actually because I, I can't, I can't bring myself to look at the Oz anymore. It's just too depressing. Um, so I did something even more depressing. I listened to the Young IPA podcast. Oh boy! <laughs> at least the start of it. On my way back. So on my way back yesterday, I listened to. Um, a bunch of board game podcasts. I listened to your podcast with um, Samar. I listened to the podcast you did with me like three years ago because I was like, what, what did we talk about and how much of an idiot did I come across as? And it turns out it's okay. I'm not, not, too, not too ashamed of it, so that was all right. <laughs> um, and then, because we were, by the time that um, I, I'd finished ranting at you in 2016, um, we'd almost, I'd almost reached Melbourne. I put on the Young IPA podcast because I was curious as to what they were going to be saying about this sort of bullshit. And it turns out... Um, that they are that they are also running the line of um, th- these poor kids being uh, led led by these diabolical adults and uh, being just in, they're being indoctrinated, Tom. And then they launch into you know if they really cared about uh, emissions, they'd be supporting nuclear. Oh boy. And like, um, okay, and then and then they'd be thanking Donald Trump. What? And he's like, wait, what? Why would they be doing that? And they're like, because it's almost like they could hear me because I'm going the fuck. And it turns out that, that Don, they say Donald Trump uh, has presided over the lowest emissions ever. Did you know that? No. Well, that's because it's stupid. Um, the, <laughs> the basis of it is, uh, just in case somebody from the right throws out this ridiculous... Like, it's clearly nonsense because we're all well aware that Donald Trump goes around talking about how he's going to rip up climate change treaties and he doesn't care about it. Like, it makes little to no sense that Donald Trump's deliberate non-action on the subject would suddenly have led to actual reductions. Like... Wait, how does that make even any sense? It turns out that it's not not true. What? What? Well, it's it's one of those half true things that, that actually is really misleading. In that, uh, the last EPA data is for um, 2017, just after Trump became president. But basically, what it is is that under Obama, the emissions were decreasing, and Trump hasn't uh, changed things enough that they have gone up again what they've done is the decreases massively slowed and the epa now and it's now projected that it's going to increase but yes technically it's not untrue to say that in the last figures it's gone down cool on the other hand it's a lot more true to say that trump's actual policies are going to increase them and that the only reason that it hasn't it didn't increase in the last bit was that trump hadn't been in power long enough 
Yeah, you got to give him time to fully cook the planet, you guys. Like, he's got to... He, he struggles to get anything done, uh, but particularly his goal of destroying all human life on planet Earth. You know, you need to give him a bit of time. He's very busy. Well, I mean, he doesn't he doesn't work that much either. Like, he's got to fit in destroying the planet amongst, you know, sitting there watching Fox and playing golf. Like, yeah. you know, when when you are doing something as massive as, as, as ruining um, the planet for human civilization, but you're doing it on a very few number of hours a day... You know, it takes a bit of time. Anyway, that's the climate. All right, so I'm going to play uh, Tim's Stuck in My Crawl from last week. Crin has also recorded a Stuck in My Crawl from the previous week, um, but I think, Tom, you might be a little bit busy with the uh, comedy festival uh, to record one for next week, so we might use we might play Crin's, uh, which is about pumped hydro, uh, and is somewhat technical but very, very interesting points in it. I'll tell you what will be stuck in my crawl next week, Jeremy. People not coming to my comedy show. Huh? Uh, well, I, I thought maybe what, what was going to be stuck in your crawl was uh, the fact that you were going to be too busy to record a stuck in my crawl. That would uh, be obviously, yes. something that would fill you with with fury and <laughs> you know, internal sort of possibly some self-loathing. You'd be like, if only I had arranged things so that of I had course. time to do yes. that. Yes, of course. Damn me in my prioritising, you know, my professional output over, um, you know, having a little rant for Jeremy. I, just, <laughs> I know how you feel, Tom, is what I'm saying. I know how you feel. Anyway. Uh, Tim, on the other hand, um, has a sucky micro where he's got making some particular points about uh, look a topic that's far from far from your or my hearts, which is the feckless effing ALP. <laughs> so here's what's stuck in my craw this week. Look, I've come to accept that the Australian Labour Party will never place principle over the possibility of getting elected, and they certainly won't show any moral courage or leadership when it comes to asylum seekers. Obviously, this is terrible, but they've been getting this wrong ever since the Tampa 18 years ago, and it's not going to change. What's stuck in my craw, though, is that no matter how terribly weak the statements they make may be, there seems to still be a host of people who are willing to jump online and defend everything Bill Shorten says, no matter how absurd. Here's an example. When the government decided to send asylum seekers who need a medical treatment to Christmas Island, this was a golden opportunity for Bill Shorten to get up, show some leadership and say, look, not only is that absolute defiance of the Parliament's will and an act of utter bastardry to people who are sick, it's also going to cost the Australian taxpayer billions and billions of dollars just to score a cheap political point. Of course, he didn't say that. What he did say, and I'm going to quote him directly because I know people get very upset when we paraphrase Bill Shorten, he said... If the medical treatment is required and it's delivered on Christmas Island and it makes people well, well, that's fine. I don't even need to explain why that is an utterly absurd statement. There is no way that proper medical treatment could be provided on Christmas Island, and I'm sure Bill Shorten knew that when he said it. The reason I'm sure of this is a few days later he admitted as much and also told the ABC that he had described the arrangement as fine because he didn't want to talk about offshore processing even though it was obvious to anyone who looked at it that he was clearly ducking the issue and showing no courage whatsoever. All his defence online said this was brilliant political strategy and he had no other choice because the media's against him and the government's against him. Some people even tried to argue that it was a perfectly sensible statement because it was focusing on the adequacy of treatment rather than location and that was a very sensible thing to do. This was obviously not correct. Look, I know you like to defend you know, your team in these things, but when you go around saying that completely absurd and ridiculous statements are actually great leadership, it just makes you sound ridiculous. It makes you sound no better than the people you're opposing. And it makes all the swinging voters think that this is just a case of one side versus the other. And no one cares in any way about principle or even logic. It gives people no reason to vote for the ALP. And that's how we ended up with this ridiculous government in the first place. And that is what is stuck in my craw. Uh, very well said. I think another great example, obviously less consequential than, than his comments around uh, uh, Christmas Island after the Medivac bill debate, but just like the climate strike, again, just saying ideally these kids uh, would be in school, but uh, oh, it's a bit rich for the government to be lecturing people how to react. It's just like, this is a gimme, bro. 
Be on the side of young people who are out there being politically active, trying to take action on the most important moral environmental challenge of their lifetime. That All those kids out there could be Labour voters if you showed some fucking leadership and actually endorsed them and actually took them seriously and actually sorted out your own climate policies, you crazy weirdo. Come on! I feel like I'm calling everyone weirdos at this point, but they are because they disagree with me and that makes them very weird indeed. Also, objectively, uh, they are weird because they also disagree with me. Yes. And that's what objectively... Yeah, (laughs) I'm like the neutral centre point. But Tom, counterpoint, Um, if Bill came out and did those things and stood up for principle and actually argued a case... Sure, he might persuade people. He might persuade swinging voters. He would certainly you know, gain the support of the people uh, whose cause he is pushing. Um, and uh, particularly if that's a cause that a majority of Australians support, that might be something that you might consider electorally positive. But what you're failing to consider is that News Corp would say mean things about him. What? what, what? Which they definitely wouldn't do otherwise. <laughs> yes, 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 of course. Like, they might try and campaign to have the Liberals win the election. Like, you can't let that happen. Jesus. You know when Chris Bowen said, hey, if people don't like this policy, they could not vote for us, and everyone said that that was political suicide and saying, I'm like, no, that's great. Give give away the voters, like, identify the voters that you will, will never win over, like, mm. and let them go. Let them free from your heart. Obviously, try and campaign for everybody, and your political agenda should achieve the most possible good for the most number of people in this country, but just realize that in theory a labor party a party based on uh uh uh, the the working working class of australia is going to piss off the ruling classes and you have to be okay with that and let that go and go in with a fucking fight it's not like the liberals are afraid to say horrible things about lefties no or in fact in the case of the climate change thing it wasn't it's not like they weren't prepared to say patronizing horrible things about the kids like I suppose maybe Bill's rationale was, look, the kids aren't going to vote for the Liberals because the Liberals have already said horrible shit about them. So if I just shut my mouth, everything will come up Millhouse. <laughs> Which is stupid because, Bill, you're not Millhouse. We can, you can do better than Millhouse. You're not Millhouse, mate. No, you should not be Millhouse. You don't want to aim for Millhouse. We want to aim for more than Millhouse, if possible, please. Yeah, yeah I, I, think that, I think that you're right. And that fundamentally, you've got your Overton window. You've got where the debate actually is. And the more that, and obviously this is the big critique the left has for the ALP and its idiotic line that it just has to run dead on refugees because it's, you know, there are too many racists out there and it's too easy to demonise refugees. And if they pick that fight, then they will lose it because Australians are shit and racist. And so, like, we've got to just, we've just got to, got to run dead. Okay, so... Under, under our media and our, and our leaders, our Australians have been, you know, particularly racist uh, as, as a nation in, in history. But um, whether we're more or more racist than other nations, I, I don't know. That uh, That's something that can be um, upheld because we, you know, most nations have a core of xenophobia and um, that can be whipped up because it's just an innate human thing. So isn't the real challenge for the left not to just assume that the xenophobia and latent racism that can be exploited by the right is just something we just have to live with and instead to stand up and say actually uh we can argue this we can use the soapboxes that we have to flip the debate on this because what is powering the racism and xenophobia and the the fact that the liberals have such a fertile ground um in pushing this shit and why one nation is able to do so well with it that apparently mark latham is guaranteed a bloody seat in new south wales this, this saturday yeah that's depressing and, but the, the bottom line is that they are able to do that not because they're brilliant or because Australians are irredeemably racist, um, although we behave as if we're irredeemably racist, but I think that's actually the fault of the people on the centre-left, the people from the ALP, who, when people are suffering real you know, dislocation, the automation's reducing the number of jobs, you've got, um, you know, the wages being kept down by, by the corporate world um, for flexibility so they can um, keep corporate profits high. Like, that's fundamentally what it is. They, they, they try and claim that, um, you know, we need our productivity raised, but the problem is that productivity has been decoupled from wages for decades. Um, and all of these problems that um, poor working class people are facing are real. And instead of turning around and saying, well, in fact, not giving them any kind of a explanation and just leaving that as fertile ground for racist idiots to come in and say, hey, you know who's really to blame? The Muslims and the refugees and the poor people and the Aboriginals. Yeah. But instead of doing that, argue the point. Give them a message that, that, that explains, like, which is actually the real message of what explains their suffering. Like, 
that you're coming in and you're going to improve their lot because you're going to put in um, measures that, that support them as workers against the employers. You're going to put in a, a proper safety net so employers can't just go, huh, take my shitty conditions or, or you can die in, the, in a ditch. Put in, you know, properly fund the public, the schools that their kids go to, properly fund the hospitals they have to use. Don't leave it like the libs can go, well, I'm sorry, but the hospitals are so shit that if a refugee comes, they're going to take you off a waiting list. Turn around and say, no, no, we're going to make sure the hospitals aren't shit. And you're like, where's the money going to come from? Because we're going to undo all the freaking giveaways to the rich. Like, you've got a message to sell these people that is a much more honest, let alone more palatable one, than it's the foreigners. But the ALP is too cowardly to run it. Totally, and that backflip on Christmas Island just shows how hollow the original... Like, if you care about the Medivac bill because you care about sick people getting correct treatment, you shouldn't be fine with the idea of them being sent to Christmas Island because their, their facilities are shithouse. People on Christmas Island, citizens, regularly go to Perth for any kind of major um, surgery or medical treatment. So it just shows up how hollow um, their whole position on, on, on the idea was. And that's that's the stuff that drives people nuts, just like when it's so exposed as blatantly craven political positioning, not because you actually give a shit about these people at all, or that you're taking a just or moral stand. It's just because you think the optics of it work well in your favour. Well, and also the, the beds in those hospitals could, we could fund more beds if you didn't spend billions on this security theatre reopening bloody Christmas Island. Yeah. If you just let the refugees come to the hospitals and be treated and didn't spend all that money torturing them or building the fucking you know chicken coops that you plan on putting them on in, in uh, on Christmas Island if you instead of that put those billions of dollars into the hospital system then more beds would appear and more people could be treated even if the refugees were being treated it would be a net positive for everyone and where has it got you where is this fucking position like this this clinging to the government on border protection quote unquote got you scott morrison walks around christmas island with a huge press gallery in tow saying well i didn't want to have to do this but i did thanks a lot bill shorten <laughs> oh my god like they are never going to give you any credit whatsoever for doing anything uh uh in, in this area they this is almost all they have is their inhumanity to refugees and their fear-mongering our border protection and you are never going to outcunt them Sorry if you need to beep that. The only thing you can do is point out they're being cunts. And to do that, you have to stop covering for their cuntish lines. <laughs> yes. So stop telling. When you've got Albo up there, and we played this audio in a previous episode of, of Albo basically saying, oh, yeah, we in the ALP got it wrong when we were trying to be humane on boats. We thought that the argument that it was there were pull factors as well as push factors uh, were was wrong. Uh, and indeed, uh, we... We made an error uh, when we did that. I think that's been acknowledged by the Labor Party. No, you don't do that shit. You don't cover for their lies. Mm. You don't cover for them when they're claiming that, you know, the boats have stopped. What we know now is that uh, the government's policies have uh, stopped the boats, uh, that they're, they're not coming. You say, no, they haven't. They're still coming. You're dragging them back to sea. We've had to admit in Senate estimates that they're still coming. You never stop them. But have you ever heard Bill Shorten call Morrison on and say, but he didn't stop the boats, they're still coming? Nah. And the Labour Party could immediately get rid of the whole drowning thing just by letting people from those countries have visas to come by air. Just do a, do a before and after cost comparison. This is what it costs. This is what the Liberals have spent from 2013 on this bullshit. This is what it's going to cost us to have them coming safely at the airport, processing them uh, there at a, at, in refugee um, centres where they can stay in the community. We don't have to spend a fortune locking them up in, in expensive hotels. We can They can be processed in the community. Uh, we'll do it promptly so that it's not an extended painful process. Um, and if they're genuine refugees, we'll be able to process them, put them into the community where they'll be able to you know work and, and contribute again in the way that immigration has always contributed to the community. And that would, and then compare the numbers. Like, surely the ALP can put that argument. Like, even just on it, even ignoring all the morality of you know our obligations to fellow human beings, even if you just did it on an economic argument, how much more money would be in the community if we treated them compassionately that could be spent on hospitals and schools and you know on your on whatever um, you know is being uh, used as an excuse for why we have to be harsh on refugees because they use up this resource? We would have so much more money for those things. Like you're being as a working class person, this thing to get your vote by making you hate refugees is costing you. It's not saving you a cent. And. All of that aside, at the end of the day, as much as the coalition would love this to be a border protection uh, uh, election or make it a race election, 
I think that there is pretty considerable evidence that this is not a top-tier issue for average voters. It's not a decider. It gets around something like 7 or 8% in terms of importance when people put it up there as an issue. Um, and so the lab- Labor could actually you know, grow some balls, or whatever the politically correct version of that saying is now, and take a, a position of this in line with justice um, and not sacrifice you know, any votes that they weren't going to get anyway. Well, I don't know why Labor can't just simply stand up and say... Hey, these dickheads have been saying they stopped the boats for the last six years, and yet your wages are low. You're still in a shitty situation. They're spending billions on this. Like, what's their end game? Mm. How long are they going to keep squandering billions, torturing these poor people? For what end? Like, all of the challenges that you as a voter are facing in your life, if it was going to be fixed by stopping by you know stopping the boats, and the Libs say they've stopped the boats, which they haven't, but they say they have, then clearly it's got nothing to do with the difficulties you're facing. Because they say they stop them and you're still facing those difficulties. So maybe they're not actually caused by that at all. And I think that, I think that, that Labor doesn't even need to say that, though. I think that that's fundamentally why the boat thing isn't hitting people. Because people, like, you, they can't, you can't be sitting there looking at the, your, your, the cost of living and the fact your wages haven't increased and all. And like the bit where they scream about it, about, um, and it, you know, trying to blame um, Shorten for energy prices, but they've been in government for six years. And they, they were promising that energy would be cheaper when they got rid of the carbon price, and they didn't. It wasn't. Like, I think I think that the gap between their promises and their lines and people's lived experience is so great now that people... That's probably one of the other main reasons that people just switched off. They're just like, no, I can see that things are tough, and I, and, and it can't be refugees because hmm. they're not... You tell me they've fixed the problem. Mm. Sad times. <laughs> well, no, good times, I think. I think unlike... So... The episode, the episode of yours that I was on was right after the last election, and it was a weird time. I, I'd forgotten every list because I have a terrible memory, and I had actually forgotten we, pretty much every element of that discussion. But but at that time, we didn't even know if Turnbull was going to be able to form a majority or a government or not, and it had been a swing from the right. Oh yeah, and they built this huge terrifying crossbench or something. I'm I'm willing to bet at this point, and I am really pessimistic about elections because Tom, my heart's been broken, but <laughs> it's been broken before. But I've, but I think in this case I can learn to love again. Um, I think in this case the libs are gone. I, I think that it's going to be a bad election for the Greens um, because people when they're turfing a horrible government like Scummo's um, tend to vote for the ALP, the other big party, um, and I think it'll be another rough one for the Greens, which is unfortunate because I think we'll find out pretty quickly that the uh, ALP under Bill Shorten is not particularly progressive. Anyway, but yes, I'm, I'm prepared to call it. Uh, I, th- I think they're gone. None of their... Well, I mean, Tom, how do they save themselves? I don't think they've got anything. No matter how much the um, Murdoch press screams about retiree taxes and boats coming and... Like, just I think it's just washing... Because they don't have a line that, that hits what people are worried about, which is their wages being low, and the ALP does. Yes. I mean, yes. If if they manage to get it uh, on, on wages, then I think it's certainly Labor's, yeah, Labor's election to win. I guess we'll have the budget. Maybe they'll pull out some crazy shit there. Um, I, what can I they pull know. out? I don't know. <laughs> money! Money for everyone! <laughs> it won't be enough because fundamentally people know... Like, even the people who are potential swing voters for the Libs, like, it's on the basis that they are wage earners who bring in their own money and don't need no government handouts. But the problem is that the wage earners are doing it tough. And they know that the coalition is like the coalition can pretend all it likes that somehow giving more money to the corporations and make it easy for them to sack people will somehow trickle down to great wealth for ordinary people. But nobody believes that. It's insane. No, nobody's looking at their paper and going, "Well, if only the company had more money, they could give it to me." Like, who thinks that? Nobody thinks that. Nobody thinks that. They're like they can't win it. And and fundamentally, I think the low wages are the biggest issue that's fa- that that people are looking in their hip pocket. That's that's the thing. That flat wages growth. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think Labor needs to get better at articulating what they mean. A lot of the interviews I say, they say, well, there's a range of measures that we can implement to increase wages. Um, I would like to see a bit more tangible shit and getting a little bit close to what the ACTU is putting out there and saying, you know, making a living wage uh, mandatory, turning the minimum wage into a living wage. That would be cool. Um, but yeah, I, and I think they've got a lot more, lot more ground there that they can run out on, and sort of, you know, have some more um, concrete policies that are that are um, definite, not just nudging um, wages in an upward direction or gently suggesting to the market that they should uh, increase how much they're paying working people, but um, fucking legislating it and regulating it. That'd be nice. 
I remember the pictures of Kevin Rudd after the election and it was just like Kevin Rudd's face and don't fuck it up. I'm not even going to bother doing that with Shorten. I know he'll fuck it up. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm looking for the 2022 uh, election when the Greens come back in and, and have a chance to push the Labour Party to the left after the Labour Party has fluffed around and, and you know done so little uh, that needs to be done that, that it's clearly obvious that they need a kick from the left. Um, so I'm looking forward to that one more than this one. But, but you know, seeing Scummo out on his ass will, and hopefully, oh, has anyone, have you done the maths? Have you seen, will, how, where will he fit in terms of shortest times as, as being Prime Minister? He won't be the very shortest, because I, I think somebody was Prime Minister for like a week after somebody died. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. But he'll be down the bottom. Well, he'd be from August 2018, yeah, for a couple of months. I guess we'll see. I guess we, we shall see. And I can't see if he, lo- if he loses this, whether he would stick around as leader of... Uh, of, uh, of the party but look let's take it one election at a time let's get them out please first step and then we could uh we could focus on um what what comes next you know yeah there's there's a there's a ponder for the question for the i mean it's it's good that we can have moments of tension that don't actually matter so um it's like the hitchhiker's guide thing where it's like you know this this next scene coming up is really tense but um you know so so there's not too much tension we'll tell you exactly what, what's going to happen except uh something might fall on somebody's foot or something and and uh, since that doesn't matter that can be the source of the tension for this, this scene so how about how about the tension for this this uh, next political cycle be um is Scummo the kind of dickhead liberal leader who will hang around and try and snipe from the back? Or is he the kind of um, dickhead liberal leader who will just fuck off into the distance? I, I reckon he'll fuck off into the distance. I reckon you're right. I reckon, I reckon he, he, will, he will quit. Um, but then again, he doesn't really have anything else to go to. Uh, I guess he'll maybe go back to Tourism Australia. <laughs> no, he won't. <laughs> there is no way. I don't know. He'll become the director of a bank or something. He'll be fine. No, but he, has a, he doesn't have anything. Who's going to employ him? Why would a bank employ him? He doesn't have any like skills on the subject. Oh, it's the press. T- I mean, they don't do anything, do they? On the boards, they're just there, and they get to say we have a former prime minister on our board. Check us out. Yeah, I think I think Scummo's too weird for even corporate Australia. I don't. I just. I I think he might have to hang around because his options are going to be so shit. So we could just see him sort of his humiliating descent into you know complete irrelevance from the back bench. Ah, oh, it's going to be great. Anyway, so one more thing before we go, um, which is that I've been told by Tim that I need to ask you about your parody song battle with uh, a D, a Detroit radio show that was referenced mysteriously in the last episode called Omelette and Finster. Oh, God. Yes. Fuck, that's a, that is a flashback. That is something we did on Triple J Breakfast. Um, we, yes, I'm Linton Finster. Uh, we're a, um, a breakfast radio, commercial breakfast radio duo over there. For whatever reason, we, we made song parodies in a battle against them. I can't even remember how it started. And it was a deeply embarrassing and mildly amusing period of my life. Do you have any fond memory of a particular song parody you managed? Like, was it, was it, were they well, doing... mine was fine. Mine was fine, but our producer Oliver Wards, who's a New Zealand guy, he did one of uh, of um, it was called "A Redneck Is Going to Shoot You" is the name of it, and it's the worst piece of parody music that's ever been written. It's it, it was a it was a cover of some Bob Seger song, I think, and it is truly truly awful, and it may still be up on the internet somewhere on our best of CD. If people want to check it out. Cool. I'm glad I glad I brought that up for you. Then it's, it seems like it seems like a dark <laughs> memory, but really. Um, Hmm. I, I feel bad now. All right. Well, in the, maybe I can. No, make... it was great. It was very funny, but it uh, it was just such a bizarre, bizarre period in the show. It was good. Yeah, it was good. That was fun. Anyway, let's plug <laughs> something that's that, that you're, you're sort of. I think you're probably prouder of and uh, more keen for people to check out. <laughs> oh yes, my stand-up show is called Enough. It is happening at the Melbourne Comedy Festival next week. Um, it goes for all that. It goes to Sydney as well for the Sydney Comedy Festival in May. That's called Enough. And my play, Quanda, is just doing eight shows only at the Melbourne Comedy Festival. I am playing Tony Jones. I have a panel full of very uh, funny people. And I think that, yes, if you're into Australian politics and uh, occasionally watch Q&A and tear your hair out, I think this might be the show for you. All right. Um, thank you so much, Tom, <laughs> for coming back. It has been lovely having another chat. I definitely encourage everybody to go to uh, your shows uh, and also um, listen to the last episode of uh, Like I'm a Six-Year-Old because that um, was a very good discussion of the Christchurch uh, situation and also BDS and generally insight in relation to how uh, life might be currently being experienced in our country and elsewhere uh, as a Muslim person uh, when these sorts of things are happening. And by these sorts of things, I don't just mean Christchurch, I mean the stuff leading up to it. 
Yeah. So, yes, strongly recommend people have listened to that. Tom, do you have uh, a um, charity or anything you would like people you would like to be, uh, people to be encouraged to be considering this evening? Oh, well, of course, you know, uh, there's that there's lots of fund me set up for the the families of the victims of the Christchurch shootings. If you can give them money, that'd be great. But also, if you can just lend your name to the BDS petition, um, calling on SBS to consider um, not being involved in Eurovision this year because it is in Tel Aviv and uh, the good people of Palestine through the BDS movement have called on um, civil countries around the world or people around the world to join them in um, in standing up to uh, Israel's brutality against them. Um, you can read more about it, find out more about it, but yeah, BDS Australia is running that petition, so check that out if you get a chance. Yeah, I think someone made some excellent points about explaining just exactly, precisely what, they, what the country was doing by way of deliberate policy to the poor people in Palestine and Gaza uh, in a way that I didn't fully understand uh, and... Um, Anyway, that's horrific, but it's definitely, definitely worth listening to. All right, um, we'll leave it there. Thank you, everybody, for coming back. Thank you to our Patreon subscribers. You are how the podcast keeps going. Uh, now, this may be, depending on how quickly I can organise uh, the new arrangement, but what I'm going to try to move the podcast to is having two or three guests at a time. And uh, the first time we try this, I'll probably end up trying uh, Zencaster, uh, which is a... a an online system for doing that. Um, that is a system that, whilst uh, the first one can, we can do as a bit of a trial and see how it goes, uh, after that point, they will start charging. So if you uh, enjoy when we do that uh, and you would like that to continue uh, and you would like to keep see the podcast keep going, uh, then contributing to the Patreon would, would assist greatly. Um, otherwise, thank you everybody for coming back. Uh, very much enjoyed it. Thank you, Robin Gray, for the music. Thank you, Alex Lund, for the artwork. And thank you, Tom, for your participation. And again, thank you, Jeremy. Cheers. Cheers, mate. All right. Bye.